Hi, everyone. Welcome to We Will Wander, exploring life off the traditional path, a podcast about location-independent families living and working all around the world. I'm Clint Bush. And I'm Zaylee Pollan. And twice a month, we talk to families about what it's like to live location-independent, travel full-time, and educate our kids on the road. The world is big and time is short, so let's get started. In today's podcast, Clint talks to Tina Rogers, who got caught in northern Italy just as the pandemic was beginning to hit hard. So many of our traveling friends are still in various parts of the world experiencing different impacts from the coronavirus. In this interview, conducted last March, and so much is changing fast, we hear of Tina's experience trying to find a way to safety when so many of us don't necessarily have a home. Let's listen. So I'm Tina. Right now I am living in a suburb called Oldham outside of Manchester in the UK. We've been traveling full-time since December 2018, so just under a year and a half now. And we spent 2019 mostly in Southeast Asia, which was wonderful and glorious. We have my partner Mike and I, and we have a three-year-old son, Krim, who we travel with. Fantastic. So Tina, I wanted to talk to you because being a digital nomad during this period, especially a digital nomad with responsibilities as in a family, is been an interesting challenge for the community that we know, the friends that are traveling, that are out and about right now. It's been an interesting challenge. And you specifically, you and your family had a very interesting challenge because you were in one of the probably craziest regions Mm -hmm during all this. So what was that experience like and what brought you there? So yeah, we, um, like I said, we've been traveling through Southeast Asia most of last year and I work mostly in the nonprofit sector, really focused on labor rights. And I wanted to go back to school to do a little bit more education on the topic. So we decided sort of halfway through last year that I would uh, start my master's program And it was a mixed learning program, so an online portion and a residential phase. And the residential part was a three-month stay in Turin, Italy, so in northern Italy. And that started in January of this year. So we had gone back to Canada, where my family is for Christmas, and then we headed over to Europe, to Italy, in uh, early January of this year. And of course, when I got there, it was wonderful. We'd never lived in Italy. I visited a few times as a tourist, but um, we thought what a great opportunity to, you know, live somewhere completely different than what we had been doing. And yeah, it was beautiful. Turin's a really gorgeous city. It's got a beautiful river, delicious food, of course, uh, just, you know, completely different atmosphere. And we were really enjoying it. In addition, my partner's parents had decided to come with us to stay in Italy for a few months as well. They were going to help out with childcare so that I could go to school and Mike could work um, and just get to experience, you know, being in Italy for a few months as well. So it was really wonderful. We had this extended family sort of living together. We had separate apartments, but living close by. I had started this program and was meeting people from all over the world, which was really interesting, who were working in the same field as I was. And yeah, life was really good for, you know, the first month or maybe even six weeks. We had our little routines, lots of walking outside. It was sunny every day. So really a wonderful experience to start with. And yeah, of course we had, I think everyone, you know, had kind of heard about this coronavirus that was happening in China. 
And I think for me, it was sort of something that we paid a little bit of attention to, but we kind of thought it would be similar to like SARS or something that we had seen in the past. So we paid a bit of attention, but certainly not following it closely. And I actually remember having a really distinct thought one day. It just seems so funny now, but thinking, oh yeah, like I'm kind of glad we're not in Asia anymore because, you know, that's closer by to where the outbreak is. And like, <laughs> man, we're in this little town in Italy. Like if if it's going to spread, like it's, you know, we're the safest here. Like, ha ha ha. We're, you know, like, look how smart we are. Kind of just completely felt, I don't know, safe and protected from it. We kind of had the opposite of that where we were leaving Singapore. Actually, we were leaving the Philippines just as China was going through it. Vietnam was just getting it. And so we mm. kept hearing, mm. and we were going into Vietnam, we kept hearing things about, you may get checked at the border. There may be, you know, there may be long lines at the airport, et cetera. So we left way early to get there, had no checks in, a, like in the Philippines or anything. And by the time we'd gotten to Vietnam, they had already pretty much had it under control and were actually in their first lull period before there was another outbreak later. But they were right. kind of in a lull period. So it was, it was interesting because we were like uh, thinking kind of opposite of you. We were kind of dreading, oh, yeah. wow, we're going to a place where this is. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's like your instinct, right? I mean, yeah. that was totally my instinct was like this kind of like, oh, yeah, glad we're not there. And thinking about our friends and family who are still in that area and like worrying for them. And I mean, I guess that's the thing that was so crazy is that it changed so quickly. And it was really like the scariest part. And like, I still am trying to like explain to family and friends who are living in places where it hasn't hit as much yet. I mean, I know it's spread mostly everywhere, but that, you know, this goes from zero to a hundred in, you know, the blink of an eye. So for us, we, you know, we're just going on life as usual. I think they sort of announced that there was a, a case in Italy in Milan or a little town near Milan. And so I thought, okay, like, well, shoot, that's kind of close by, but like, you know, actually, and at the time you kind of thought, well, China seemed to get it relatively under control. And again, foolish thought thinking like, oh, like if China can do that, like, you know, Europe will be able to do that. Like, you know, these Western countries, they've got good healthcare. Italy is known for its healthcare system. Like it'll be okay. So we had heard of a few cases, but then it was one day, like a Saturday or something, I got a message in a WhatsApp group that I was in for my school program. And they said the government has announced that all schools in the north of Italy are to be closed immediately for a week. I was honestly, I was just kind of shocked. I was like, whoa, that seems like pretty extreme. I mean, yes, there's been some cases, but like, really, we're closing our school okay, I guess, you know, there, and I thought, you know, oh, wow, Italy's really trying to get ahead of this and be on top of it and prevent the spread. So our school was closed for a week and people almost treated it like a little vacation. So I know a lot of my classmates took the opportunity to travel throughout Europe. So they got on a flight to the UK or Germany or different places around because for a lot of people, they're not in Europe very often. We have a lot of colleagues from South America. So people traveled, they traveled a lot or, you know, we hung out, I kind of kept up a bit with schoolwork, but just, you know, mostly relaxed at home. And then people, you know, came back to Italy uh, sort of a week later. So I think about that time and I think, man, how much was the spread happening then, you know, without people knowing possibly, you know, there was still just so much movement of people from Northern Italy to everywhere else. So 
And about a week later, the the government had said, okay, we think we're going to open up schools again. We're just going to make sure that all schools get a deep clean. So I think this was on a weekend and they said by Wednesday, schools will be reopened and we'll just use Monday and Tuesday to do a clean. And so my school, it's a private institution, so they're not, you know, technically like mandated by the government. They can sort of choose themselves what to do. So they did kind of a cleaning of the school on the weekend and they decided to reopen on Monday. And so on Monday we went into class and people were trying to be normal. For me, it felt a bit odd. I was like, this is feels strange. Like the rest of the schools haven't opened up, but like, okay, I went in. They said they had done this thorough cleaning. At school that day in the classroom, they had doctors checking our temperatures when we came in and they said everyone would get like a little health kit by the end of the day. So with a thermometer and some some sanitizer and whatnot. But we went to class as normal and went home. I mean, I was taking public transit. I took the bus uh, to get there and went home. But I just had a really like unsettled feeling from it. I just thought this, you know, we're in this, we're in this class. This is, you know, 35 people coming from all different parts of town and people are still moving around so much. And that night I really kind of struggled with thinking like, I don't know, is this what we should be doing? This is still, this outbreak is still happening. The cases were growing that day. There was a few cases in Turin. And that night, the government announced that they would not be reopening schools. They would close them for another week or two weeks. I can't remember that they thought it wasn't under control and they needed to keep schools closed. And unfortunately, my school decided to stay open. And this is where, for me, things got really like personally challenging because, you know, we're in a different country. I mean, as a nomad, you're always in a, in a different place where you probably don't really know the language, first of all, the rules or the customs. And certainly for us, when we travel, you know, we try to be really respectful citizens wherever we are. So even if something is not how we would normally do it, if we're in a place where something else is the norm or where there is government has certain rules, we really try to be respectful of that. I mean, of course, within reason that they're not telling crazy. And so for me, it kind of became this dilemma. Like I am a temporary citizen in this country. The government is saying, we're going to keep schools closed. Like, please, people, you need to start paying attention to this. And this sort of institution that I, you know, was going to school at and sort of an international organization. And um, they were saying like, no, no, it's fine. We've cleaned the school. Like, it'll be fine. Come into class. And so it was just a bit of a dilemma for me. And ultimately, I decided that I wanted to respect what the government was saying they had issued decrees basically saying to close the schools and so I opted not to go into class and also because you know I have a young child and Mm -hmm. you know thankfully at the moment it seems like children are less affected by this but like that's something you never want to take a chance on and our my in-laws were there too and they're in their 60s as well and they're a more vulnerable group so for me I realized you know this is something where I have a personal responsibility to do my part for my family and myself to try to contain this. So I would go out to get groceries still. And to be honest, the streets were still full of people. Mm -hmm. The grocery stores were full of people. Cafes were full. Restaurants were full. There was no, nothing seemed different. Was this about mid to late February? What what was the time frame roughly? Do you remember? This was, yeah, it would have been late February and then into like early March. So I think the government at first closed the schools the last week of February. And then in early March, they were going to open them back up and decided not to. 
So this was like, you know, March 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th. So even then, there was still people everywhere. You know, we would go to the grocery store. There was, but there was no, the term social distancing did not yet exist (laughs) at that point. So there was none of that. I mean, people were shopping. You would, at first you saw like toilet paper and pasta, like not being available, but those things like replenished pretty quickly. So it didn't seem like there was panic buying and people were out and about. So I think that's the, the craziest thing is that everything more or less continued as normal, even as the government was issuing these decrees to close schools and to please like try to, you know, distance yourself. It didn't really seem to slow anything down in terms of people's activities. What was the media response at the moment? So I think, you know, if you look at international media, of course, it was starting to turn to be like, oh, Italy is in this hotspot. I mean, at first it was this response of, oh, Italy's implemented these draconian measures and they're kind of going, you know, yeah, middle age, like it's crazy, (laughs) which was actually sure that's what the government was saying, but that wasn't what people were doing. Yeah. So the media made it sound like, oh, it's like really intense and whatever. But like the day to day, it didn't feel that way. It felt unsettling because, you know, you feel like, oh, there's all these measures in place. But you look around and everything appeared almost normal. And that maybe that was the most confusing part for me and probably for others as well. You know, to be fair to people in Italy and, you know, all of us, I'd say Italy was, you know, of course, outside of China, it was really where this like first exploded. And so we hadn't had a chance to see this happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so nobody really knew how serious it was going to get. And nobody really knew what to do. You know, now, even a couple weeks later, I think all these other countries, so right now we're in the UK, for example, and I just like kind of want to scream at people like you've had a head start, like you have had two or weeks head start do not make the same mistakes that we made in italy or that people made by taking this too lightly like if you're living in canada like i think where my family is and or in the uk and you're still like just recently they closed restaurants but you're still like gathering in groups or you're doing all of this stuff you know you're you're just being ignorant you've now had a chance to get ahead a little bit ahead of it and you're not Mm -hmm. doing it so well that's i think a lot of the anger and frustration with the united states too right now both both at a government level and at a public level is you know there's still people partying the government is still not really enforcing much it could be argued that parts of europe and the united states are never going to be in a position to take kind of the overarching measures that parts of Asia took, especially in say Vietnam or or China, where it's a different government dynamic for sure. But yeah, I I think that's definitely where, where some of that frustration stems from. Now at that point, were there anything happening with the airports? Like were they starting to limit flights in or out or was that still kind of business as usual? No, it was business as usual. There was no, no limits. Flights were running totally normal. I think there was like starting to be sort of rumors or in some countries they were saying, okay, we're trying to limit the number of flights from Northern Italy, or if you're coming from Northern Italy, you have to check your temperatures or something. But at the time, like flights were still running fine. Everything was pretty normal. We had, so my partner's sister lives in Zurich and she just had a baby like a couple of weeks before that. So we had plans to, you know, all go take the train to Zurich a couple of weeks later um, to visit them. And of course, her her parents, so my in-laws were with us too. They wanted to meet their grandchild or whatnot. And so 
we had decided, okay, at that point, like trains, everything was still running, but we were like, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to be on a train full of people right now that goes through Milan. And at that time, the cases in Milan were just like growing and growing and growing. And I, I should say, so Turin is about two hours maybe away from Milan or an hour by train. Okay. And so it's not like right next to it, but pretty close by. So you kind of still had this idea that like Turin was a little isolated. It wasn't like right in the exact hotbed of it, but we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't take a train through Milan. So we decided to uh, rent a car and drive to Zurich to visit my sister-in-law and see the new baby. And so so we went to Zurich and while we were there was when the lockdown of Northern Italy came into effect. Wow. They locked down, of course, the provinces of Lombardy and part of Piedmont, which is which where Turin is. But Turin itself was not under lockdown at that point. So we were like, okay, we can still get back. You know, all of our stuff was there. I mean, it was, that was our home at the time. Mm-hmm. This was like the first lockdown. So we also, I think nobody really knew, can you get in and out? Um, I mean, since we've realized like foreigners are free to leave, but we weren't sure at all what that would look like. We had to sort of drive a different route back from Switzerland to get into Turin. And I remember on that drive back, I was driving and it's maybe like a five, six hour drive. And like, of course, my mind that whole time was just thinking like, whoa, this just got really serious. Yeah. And even if foreigners are still able to get out, you know, you're thinking, of course, if it's locked down, flights are going to start being canceled. What does lockdown actually mean for someone living in a country that's not their own? Mm-hmm. And so we're driving back and, you know, at that point, Turin wasn't under lockdown, but I just felt like there's no way that this lockdown doesn't extend, you know, it literally bordered up against Turin. It was, you know, the next city over was under lockdown. So on that drive back, it became just really clear to me that it was time for us to leave, that we were living in a place where we didn't understand the language We had each other, of course, which is nice. I mean, it's always nice that you have like your family there, but we were in an unknown place. Yeah. With no kind of network and mostly where we just didn't like know the language and things were escalating really, really quickly. And again, you know, having elderly or older in-laws there and a young child, by the time we got back to Turin that day, I had made the decision and sort of convinced everyone else that like we had to leave. So tell me what, once you made that decision and you decided to get out of there, I guess, what was the criteria? Were you thinking of going back home at that point, uh, quote unquote home? I know home is a little bit ambiguous, but your home country. Or were you mm-hmm. thinking another place? Like, and then, it, yeah. and then also one of the things that we realized is just the logistics of everything. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's finding the flights, there's finding lodging. There's, I don't know if you were thinking that you would have to quarantine at that yeah. point, um, I don't know if that was part of the conversation at that point. Just kind of walk me through, once you made that decision, that mm-hmm. is only the first step. <laughs> the rest of it has to come. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's true. It's actually, we couldn't make the decision without thinking through all those other things. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you don't have a home, there's no point in leaving somewhere if there's no better place to go to you know, if there's no better option. So although I felt like we should leave because it wasn't the best place for us, we couldn't make that decision until we thought like, do we even have a better place to go? So our next stop was going to be Ukraine. My partner, Mike, his family, or he's from there originally and his grandparents still live there. 
And we had already booked sort of an Airbnb for the next, for three months after April um, when we were meant to leave Italy. And so of course, like our first thought was, okay, could we just go, you know, to where we're planning to go next early? Um, Does that make sense? But pretty quickly, I mean, Mike's parents who grew up in Ukraine and sort of said like, that's not the place you want to be if there's like a health emergency. There's still a lot of corruption and the health system is not necessarily great. And if you're going to get quarantined somewhere, particularly like if you're going to get quarantined in some kind of government facility, again, Ukraine is probably not where you want to be. Um, At that time, Ukraine did not have any quarantine measures in place, but things were changing so quickly at that Mm. point. Like I'd say that weekend is when everything started changing really rapidly. People started thinking of quarantines or closing their borders or whatnot. That's also why we felt this intense pressure to make this decision, because we knew if we stayed in Italy, the ability Mm -hmm. to get out was going to just go downhill so quickly, either because countries were closing their borders or we'd have to quarantine or we couldn't get flights. So we looked at some other options. I mean, we're from Canada, but we don't have a home there. My parents and family live on like the far West Coast. So my sister is currently there with my parents. She's pregnant. My dad is, is late 60s with a, you know, diabetes and a history of yeah. heart problems. My 90-year-old grandmother lives there. So that was just ruled out from the point of view of, you know, we don't want to be putting anyone at risk. So my in-laws were still with us and they live on the other side of Canada. And we thought, okay, we could go back there with them. But then like you're saying, like the logistics, the cost of that. So flights to Canada for three of us, we were looking at like three to 4,000 euros. Plus we'd have to rent a place to stay when we got there. Plus you need a car to get around in the place that they live. So like the costs of that were just so high that you know, at that time, that just felt like really, yeah, cost prohibitive. My sister, normally her and her husband live in the UK. They live here in Manchester, um, but they had gone back to Canada because she's pregnant and wanted to have her baby in Canada. So they have a house here and they said, our house is open. It's available. I'm a dual Canadian British citizen and Canadians can stay in the UK for six months. There's a bit of a network here. My brother-in-law's family lives close by and although so, although it was not sort of a top choice to come to Oldham, I mean, it's not the most like exciting place that we've been to in our travels, but that kind of was part of our decision. We thought, okay, there's a home where we're, we don't have to pay for that is actually going to have supplies. At the time, the UK didn't have any quarantine rules in place, although, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, we knew that we were going to try to sort of self-isolate as much as possible wherever we went. And it's a country where we speak the language, which we thought, okay, if we do need to enter the healthcare system or something happens, that was a plus for us as well. So when I say we made the decision to leave, yes, all of these things were part of that decision. And what was the, what was the transition period as far as like the time you made the decision, thought about it, got the logistics in place and were on the move so on the Sunday, we were driving back from Switzerland. And I think I had made the decision, but you know we had to have all of these conversations. And I will say that Mike was very hesitant to come to the UK, to come to Oldham. He, also because my <laughs> sister and brother-in-law, brother-in-law have said like, oh, it's boring. There's nothing to do. <laughs> and it's hard when you go from this lifestyle like that we have as digital nomads, where you're exploring these amazing places. You have so much freedom. We're used to you know working online and being really flexible to feel like you have to go somewhere that you, you know, maybe don't want to, or that's not going to have those kind of interesting, exciting things that you're used to. 
So, you know, it's shifting away from this lifestyle as a nomad where you're like, where do we want to go where we can, you know, have fun and see things to changing those priorities really quickly to where is there decent healthcare? Where can we afford to stay? Um, where is safe for us? And that's a big shift that we had to make really quickly. And so Sunday, we kind of talked about it. We needed to sleep on it. I think Mike really needed to sleep on it Sunday night. And by Monday morning, we had decided, okay, yeah, we'll go to Manchester, we'll go to the UK. So Monday morning, we made that decision. And that afternoon, we booked flights. And we booked flights for the Wednesday because we thought, okay, let's take a day to just pack everything up. You know, I had some stuff I was supposed to return to the school. And so we thought, okay, give ourselves a day. Um, and there was like decent flights on the Wednesday. And then Monday night at about, you know, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., we were just going to go to bed. And Jeez. the Italian government announced that the whole country <laughs> was being locked down effective the next morning. <sighs> So we like, you know, we got to this place where like, okay, we're leaving. Like, it's, it's all right. We're going to get out of here. And then suddenly it was like, you know, what does that mean from tomorrow morning? The country's locked down. And again, like this term lockdown, mm -hmm. it, it's scary. You don't know what that really means, you know? So we pretty quickly that night said, okay, no, we need to change our flights. We got to get out of here tomorrow. Let's see if we can find something for tomorrow. It was funny actually trying to convince my in-laws of that. So we called them and said like, let's change our flights. And they were pretty like, no, no, it's fine. You know, we'll just wait <laughs> right. till Wednesday. But we weren't going to leave without them. We weren't going to let them stay. So we finally convinced them to change it to the next day. And I mean, I don't know how many times since then my mother-in-law has like thanked me for insisting that we do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, in yeah. the moment, these are the decisions where you're like, am I just being crazy? Am I being too paranoid? Like, sure, let's stay an extra day. But in hindsight, I'm really glad that um, we did. So we managed to rebook our flights, which were flying on British Airways. And my in-laws, they were flying on KLM. They re rebooked theirs. And so we went to sleep. And in the morning, I woke up and I had a message from my sister in Canada who said, your flights were canceled overnight, but they, my sister decided to rebook, to book us on new flights wow. um, that day with KLM. So actually the same flights that my in-laws were on. So while we were sleeping, my family had just booked our booked us new flights yeah because they were yeah. i mean also it's hard when you're away from your families your families are scared right they don't know what's going on so they got us on flights so i woke up and we had our flight was leaving four hours later so sure. we had to pack up our <laughs> apartments like i mean we're, we're pretty good packers now you know we don't have so much stuff but like we had to pack i mean we were trying to clean the apartment get everything sorted and so yeah, we woke up and within three hours, we were in a taxi on the way to the airport. Wow. So I, I assume once you got to the airport, were there big lines? Was it fairly easy? Like that also seems like another hurdle to overcome. Yeah. So it was tense. Like that was the first morning that these lock this lockdown had come into effect. So say that I think the lockdown officially was at 9am and our flight was maybe at like 10 or 11 or something like that. So it was definitely tense. There was people, you know, like everyone was wearing masks, which in Italy, like nobody ever wears masks. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like, you know, it was a big shift. All of a sudden people, 
when we went to check in, they had kind of set up these barriers so that you couldn't go right up to the desk. And at one point, like, for example, my mother-in-law just by habit went up to the desk to give her passports. And like the woman, the check-in agent was just like yelling at her, like, stay back, stay back. And so there was this, you know, intense kind of stress feeling. And the lineups were pretty long. They had really reduced staff at the airport. So there was like two check-in counters. I mean, Turin Airport isn't that big anyway. So yeah, long lines. And we had a f- some problems with my in-laws' flights. But they managed to sort them out. But like at yeah. first they said they weren't booked on the flight. And it was kind of like panic <laughs> for all of us. But they got that sorted out. And then after that, I mean, we no, we went through security. And it was pretty quiet. I thought we had got a text that morning for our flight saying like, your flight's going to be very full. Like if you want to check in your hand luggage for free, you can do so. But actually, you know, when we got on the plane, there was still some empty seats. Most people on the plane were wearing masks. It was just like really tense, but it actually wasn't that busy or chaotic. And probably because it was so soon after the lockdown came into effect that, you know, nobody had really, unless you had already kind of, planned on leaving or you had heard the night before and then booked flights quickly like I don't wow. think the chaos had started really you know we kind of got out maybe before that so I don't really think that the checking temperature thing does a whole lot because like we mm-hmm. know now you can be you can pass it on before you even have symptoms anyway but we flew through Amsterdam you know we landed in Amsterdam there was no questions no health checks nothing we just got off the plane boarded our flight to Manchester, nothing in Manchester. And so not even temperature checks, you know, Mm -hmm. in Amsterdam or Manchester, no signs about anything or nobody asked us a single question. So that was a bit strange. You know, a few days later, the Netherlands started implementing measures and although the UK still hasn't done very much, even they now have signs up and stuff in the airport. So So, so looking at the international news and what's happened to Italy since, uh, especially just two days ago, I think, right? They just had a large number of people die and it's still very much on lockdown. It's kind of the poster child at this point because Wuhan and China in general has kind of gotten to the point where it's pretty stabilized. So they've left the news and Italy still continues to be the center point right now. It seems pretty obvious that you made the, the correct decision. Is that how you feel? How's the UK at this point? Yeah, so I think we definitely made the right decision to leave. So for example, I have friends who are stuck now in Turin because they maybe didn't right away get on a flight and get out of there. They, you know, thought about it. I mean, and this is a thing. It's like you're forced to make such quick decisions. So even if you take a day to make that decision, that could be the difference between getting a flight and getting home and not. So I have many friends who are stuck there who booked flights, but then flights got canceled and countries just started shutting borders. For example, a friend of mine who's still there, she's from Guatemala and she had to just buy new flights because she couldn't, first of all, you can't get through to airlines to change flights. So if you're trying to change a flight you have, like there's just no way it's impossible And so she just bought new flights, but by the time she bought the new flights, and I think the flight was two days later, she had to fly through Mexico. Mexico closed their airport and Guatemala closed their airport. So Mm -hmm. as a Guatemalan citizen, she can't, she can't get home that Guatemala, like the airport's closed. There's no way. Same with friends from Colombia and most of the people, you know, my classmates, they, if they were able to get out, they're now either in government quarantine centers in their home countries or they're under, you know, strict home isolation or self-quarantine where they are. 
So yes, I'm glad we got out right away because it just is getting harder, if not impossible now Mm -hmm. for people to leave. And, and this is the hard thing. I was there with my family. That was really, you know, you have people to go through it with. Many of my friends are there on their own. And so now you are self-isolating. You're locked inside your apartment by yourself in a country that's not your own. It's hundreds, thousands of miles away from your family who you're also probably concerned about. Yeah, it's a, it, it brings a whole nother stress level when you don't have family or have someone in the same household as you that can share some of that stress. I just spoke mm-hmm. to my cousin mm-hmm. in the States. Um, she lives by herself and it's not as crazy, but they're in the, she's in the Seattle area, which is one of the hot spots in uh, the United States. And, you know, so she's pretty much mm-hmm. isolated to being at home, except for going out a little bit, you know, walks and grocery store. But other than that, she's pretty much isolated at home. And it's just a, it's a lonely experience, right? When you don't have someone in there with you. So that's, Absolutely. And I mean, I think we all have to really remember those people, friends and family who live on their own right now. Like, it's a very isolating time for them. So just trying to like call and keep in touch with people more than we normally do, I think is really important. So I wanted to just kind of go back to one thing that you were saying before. So you'd mentioned that in some cases, it's better for people to stay or sometimes it feels like it's better for people to stay in your situation. Obviously it was not, and it's really hard to make that decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I really related to you talking about, you know, you made that decision, but then there's all the logistics and things you have to figure out. And before, I think specifically you even said that before you could even really make that decision, you had to think through all those logistics. And we, we just went through that this week the state department made an announcement to right. with their highest uh, travel advisory warning level 4 in the united states and basically said anyone abroad needs to come home or plan on being abroad indefinite and that's a pretty you know it's a pretty scary it's just like yeah. when you hear lockdown or something like that when you're in a country you're not familiar with and you hear your home yeah. country make an announcement like that it it can be jarring We've made the decision to ultimately stay. Part of it is that we, you know, we are digital nomads. We do have the mm-hmm. flexibility of we have our visa to the to the middle of May. There's a possibility we can extend that visa if for some reason we can't fly out mm-hmm. at that point. So we have some flexibility. We don't have anywhere we have to be. We trust the healthcare system. I mean, you mentioning that is really key. Like we we trust the healthcare system here. We yeah. trust what's going on. And for us, it was our option was to go back. Cause at this point too, like there's really so many countries have closed borders for flights coming in. Yeah. Really, our option was to go back to the United States. We thought about every possibility flight-wise, what we, what it would mean when we got there. Okay. We'd have to be self-quarantined before we saw my parents, before we saw Astrid's parents, like yeah. all the logistics um, before we can make that decision. And even then, it's still there's yeah. still unknowns. We're like, a month from now, is it worse? Is it better? <laughs> is it the same? <laughs> like, we don't know. And so, yeah. It's part of the gamble. Exactly. And I think that is the hardest part for everyone right now, but especially if you are a a nomad, is that there's no right answer. Nobody knows what the right answer is. And, you know, I, I said to Mike, I was like, man, like this is when it sucks to be an adult. Like you are faced with impossible decisions where you just, you're, you make your best guess. And I think, 
yeah, for us, it was really, we need to be somewhere where there's decent healthcare. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. running from it at this point. Yep. So it's not like you're trying to get away from coronavirus because I think that's impossible. So to me, the decision then became, you need to go somewhere where you feel comfortable because this is an uncomfortable situation. So where do you think that you will be, you know, comfortable, feel a little bit safe, like in the healthcare system and that you think you can be for for a few months you know and and in those questions we did the same thing we thought okay should we be going back to Canada I mean Canada's now issued this thing saying if you're Canadian abroad come home we're not residents here either this isn't like we're not residents in the UK so we're we're not in a place where you know like for example we lived in the Netherlands for four years if we had Mm -hmm. still been living in the Netherlands of course we would have stayed there because we were residents that was our home this isn't our home either. So we, we also questioned, should we go back to Canada now as well? Um, and in the end, we decided my in-laws should go back and we managed to get them on a flight that, you know, flights are also crazy expensive now. So they're really hard decisions right now for nomads, for everyone. But when you don't have a home, I think it's even, even harder. And, you know, we just have to make the best decisions we can. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you chatting with us and sharing your story. Lots of people are facing similar stories. Yours specifically was very interesting um, coming out of Northern Italy, which is just sadly just a, just a mess right now. Um, and there's the whole yeah. tourism side that I would love to have a conversation about another time that just breaks yes. my heart to see, yeah. especially Venice. They're having massive, massive worries about the flooding and lack of tourism. And that's a purely tourist town at this point. And then to be faced with this as well, those communities all around the world. I mean, United States, Canada, here in Asia, those communities that rely on tourism dollars right now. I don't know how you come back from that. I don't know. And I think just like on that note too, we are so fortunate that we even get to make these decisions, right? I am so fortunate that we're in a position where we can get a flight and come to a place where we're safe and we have good healthcare you know, millions and millions of people around the world live already in poverty and they have, I mean, they can't quarantine. There's no self-isolation. They can't not work or they can't feed themselves. And so I think also coming together collectively thinking like, what can I do in this moment to help people who are really suffering and more vulnerable, whether it's donating or donating to local food banks or something like that is just like really important that we think collectively right now as well for the, the most vulnerable people. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great sentiment. Tina, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? No, just like, thank, thanks for listening. I think it helps to also for all of us to sort of talk it through and listen and hear from each other. So thanks for doing this podcast and, and sharing also your story too. I know those are tough decisions and I hope you guys are stay safe and healthy there. And hopefully we meet up sometime soon. Absolutely. When, when the dust settles for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and lets us know what you think. You can find links and episode notes at wewillwander.com. Also, if you want to leave feedback or ask a question, go to our website, wewillwander.com, and click on Ask a Question. Looking forward to hearing from you. For We Will Wander, I'm Zaylee Pollan. And I'm Clint Bush, reminding you to get lost. 